Welcome back to Writing the Narrative with Jacob and Eddie. I'm Jake. And I'm Eddie. Today, we have another podcast for everyone, one of the listeners at home. Eddie, do you know what the topic is today? Today's topic is mental health. Serious topic. So we're going to try and treat this podcast seriously with minimum jokes. Of course, you know, in psychology, there's terms like coming up for air, which is what they call it when like you need to like go when you're talking from like a deep down personal place that's like really toxic and hurtful to your mind you need to come up for air with like an occasional joke and just lighten the mood and lighten your mental health so you may see that throughout the podcast episode where we come up for air metaphorically speaking Mm -hmm. and this isn't something that jacob or i do but something that i've actually noticed with some people who struggle with mental health is that they'll joke about their mental health a lot. They do, in fact, tend to do that. And I don't know if it's healthy or not. What do you think? I want to hear your opinion on this. I mean, I think it's definitely some sort of coping mechanism that they use. Definitely. But is it a healthy coping mechanism? Like, I guess if it's like your only coping mechanism, then it's kind of okay. Mm -hmm. But you shouldn't rely on it like a crutch to continue through life just by joking about your mental illness. Like I certainly wouldn't do it mostly. I mean, not, not for my own mental health, but like it kind of makes other people, uh, uncomfortable. Right. Especially if you're not like a joking person or like if people don't appreciate like dark humor like that and you say like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to kill myself. And you're like actually depressed. People are like, ha, 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 ha. That's not really funny. Yeah. Like I work with somebody at school every day or close to it. And she jokes about like killing herself all the time. And then one day she comes up to me and she says, so I just got um, prescribed antidepressants. I was like, oh, that's pretty surprising i mean like i knew that she struggled with mental health i just didn't know that she struggled that much and And so with those jokes now i'm i'm kind of like is she like serious joking yeah that's a serious that's another problem that arises with that it might be a good coping mechanism but is it a good call for help because once you know it's like the boy who cried wolf once you joke about it enough times one of these times you're going to say it and people are going to think you're joking but you're not joking yeah, and and so it it's definitely a fine line. Like you have to find the space where you can come up for air and not have it cross that line into uncomfort. Right. I've talked to people who are like, if you keep talking to me like that, I'm gonna slit my wrists. I'm like, whoa, all right. And then like a couple of days later, they'll be posted on their Snapchat story like cutting myself this is it this is the end i'm like haha funny funny joke right like you are joking right like i need to make sure you're joking yeah it sometimes i just don't know how to take that kind of stuff neither do i um i try and take it in strides so i i'm responding so i'm gonna help because if that's how they cope that's how they cope i'm going to initiate with that cope and be like i'm gonna laugh i'm gonna enjoy the joke right but then I'm going to dive a little deeper, you know, kind of get past the facade of the joke, maybe like a pretend shell that they put up. And I'm going to see if there's actually a problem there that they need to talk about. Yeah. And if somebody makes that joke with me, 
then I know not to give them an actual solution at that point in time. Because this is something that I've struggled with as far as helping people in need if they if they need help. I'm more of a solution outcome kind of guy. And so I'm like, oh, you could just do this or do that. And that's really not what they need in that situation. They need they need to they need someone to reassure them that their problems are not their own. They're you know, they're not alone. That's what they need in that similar moment. Yeah, they need more emotional support rather than logical support at that moment. You can kind of save the lot you know, the logistics for later. Um, but it's certainly important to emphasize that emotions are needing of support, especially for someone who has degrading mental health. Well, we start to see an issue where, you know, people are always saying, like, have you seen the joke online where it's a person saying, like, I'm sad, and people are saying, oh, don't be. It's like, wow, really helpful. You really did something there. Mm -hmm. That's what your kind of situation is. Like, I'm depressed. Well, have you tried this? Well, have you done that? Have you tried antidepressants? Have you gone, you know, found a hobby? It's like, I'm sure they've tried those things, but right now, they're at a moment where, like, if you can physically see their depression, they need more than just a solution. They need emotional backing from another human being. Mm-hmm. That's also what kind of goes into toxic positivity. Have you heard that term? I have not heard of that term. What's that about? Um. So essentially, it's like one of the sayings is, you should smile more. makes you look good. That's toxic positivity because essentially it's saying, it's not okay for you to be not okay. So essentially in a culture, people are saying, you know, you're like, taboo for being sad. Kind of, yes. Like, don't be sad. Yeah, don't be sad. <laughs> oh, that's something they can control in their lives. I'm sure they, if they had to choose, they would just choose not to be sad. That's a really good way of looking at it. Yeah. So what what's important to emphasize is that it's okay to not be okay, and you will not be happy all the time, and that's okay. And toxic positivity is where you're just saying, like, be happy all the time. Like, you know, like. Could you imagine if you actually thought like that on a day to day basis? Thought how, like what? How, like, like being happy. Looking at all the someone, time? looking at someone and saying, you know, be happy, smile more. Do you think they wouldn't want to smile more? That's such a ludicrous thing to say. Mm-hmm. I mean, imagine a. And the sad thing is, there's parents like that. Yeah, there are people that have kids that raise kids like that, and they raise their kids to be like that, and just ignore all their problems mm-hmm. and let the pills take care of it and let the children take care of it for themselves. They don't need emotional support. They're going through a phase. That's so stupid. What a dumb way of looking at society. What a dumb way of being a parent. It also enforces like denial into them because uh i met someone who said that they didn't have depression which they may or may not have but they were extremely sad all the time like just you know they they had a lot of problems and i saw that and i asked them why don't you think that you have depression and 
they said, well, I, I wouldn't want to self-diagnose myself or anything like that. And Take a know, shot in the dark. Okay, buddy, like if you're that sad and you have that many problems, it's probably depression. And if it's for a long lasting period of time, mm-hmm. it's probably depression. Two weeks or more, I think, is when it's... Is like, it only? Is it really only two weeks? Yeah. That's a shorter time frame than I would have thought. Yeah, I guess. But also anything that's below two weeks... I don't know. It could just be like an event or something. True. That, and I was thinking that same thing. It mm-hmm. could be like a depressing event, but is it really depression? Yeah. I guess I guess now I think about it, two weeks is a really long time to mm-hmm. be just constantly sad. Is it? Is that what, it, is that what depression is categorized as? Yeah. Like you have a, to be like constantly sad? Deep sadness for two weeks or more. Yeah. Okay. So two weeks straight, I could see how that would be categorized as depression. Mm-hmm. Especially since like, Everybody has a default mood, and your default mood would then be sadness. Right. That's not good. Yeah, for two weeks. That's Straight, that's, yeah, I could imagine. Now, depression is a pretty broad category. Am I right in saying that? I suppose so, yeah. If you, I'm, I'm thinking about this from a logical standpoint, right? Depression doesn't define a certain thing. It just is there it's something that you feel as a human being depression can be caused by a lot of different things but it's depression in itself is one thing which makes it kind of confusing Mm -hmm. to think about from a logical standpoint yeah it it's certainly broad and you can get it from many different ways i think that sometimes it can come down to your thought process, like what you think about on a day-to-day basis. And then it also comes down to like just pure emotions because some people, they don't even know that they're depressed because they just go on with their lives and they don't really think, oh, I'm so sad or I'm so depressed. They, they kind of just don't acknowledge well, here's okay. another scenario for you. Imagine growing up in a household that's just so fucked. Like your family, your friends, your loved one, all you've ever known is sadness, and you think depression is the normal. Imagine that. Depression is normal, so you don't know anything else. Because that's a scenario where you don't even know you have depression. Mm-hmm. But you just grow up in like the slums, or you're homeless, or whatever the situation is. You think depression is normal, so there's no other option. So this is just life. Everyone else must be dealing with it. That's a that's a really sad reality to think about. That's hell. I'm going to say that's like living hell. Yeah. Well, I don't exactly know what would be worse, like being in a depressed state and that is all you know, or having been at the peak of your life and knowing how that feels and then being at the bottom of your life. Oh, definitely peak to bottom. Yeah. Seeing how far you've fallen from the point of wherever the highest was. Mm-hmm. Um, at least you have this kind of uh, oblivion when you're constantly depressed. And that's all you've known. You don't know. You can only go up in the same. Like, okay, this is going to sound stupid. But like, you know, the saying you can only go up from here because you hit rock bottom. Yeah. There's possibility to go farther. So don't think that rock bottom is always rock bottom. But when at least when you have like a top, you know, 
you've known how far you've fallen and you know there is something to maybe have hope for once more? Maybe? I, I suppose so, because people who like live in the slums or homeless, they they think that that's life, that's how it will always be. There's no getting out of that life. And so it would be helpful to have hope and being able to say, I can possibly get out of here. I can make I've, a better I've, life. I've done this before. I can do it again, mm-hmm. possibly, depending on what the scenario is, of course. Yeah. Now, mental health is something that comes in a broad range of categories. Have you ever suffered with any mental health, Eddie? Um, I haven't for a very long, long time. I mean, I did when I was younger, but now that I'm more self-aware, I think, I've been able to get through every problem. How about you? Um, My mental health has been more psychological to the oblivious standpoint where I don't know that I have that mental health disorder and you don't realize till looking back like, yeah, that was a serious problem that I probably should have dealt with at that age, but I didn't. I ignored mm-hmm. it. And then when I got older, I realized that was a mental health problem and I didn't even possibly fathom that during that period. And I think a lot of people struggle with that aspect of mental health that they don't even know they're going through it right now. Mm-hmm. It. Another thing when you get older is you think about all the things you could have done from all the things you know now. Like, you think back and you're like, if that was me right now in my past self's shoes I might have been able to do more and like not be in that situation yeah not be a loser <laughs> pretty much like what how, what could you have done in your past self to not be where you are now is that what you're saying like what you are now could do in that situation oh, back then so if you took yourself now and then gave yourself the time that old you had what could you do with it mm-hmm that's that's a sad reality. Yeah. I'm kind of thankful for the background that I had because it's given me a lot of time to think. I'm, I'm What do you th- what are you thinking about? Like right now? Well, no, like you said it's given me a lot of time to think. What are you thinking about? Well, it, it's definitely made my imagination run because from a small age I um I had no friends at school Uh, I think up until third grade I had no friends none and then uh my parents were always working so it'd be my older siblings who were supposed to take care of me but I was an annoying little shit when I was a kid and so they didn't want to deal with me so sometimes they would just lock me inside of my room. That's still not okay. Well, yeah. Yeah, definitely I under Dude, just because you're annoying doesn't give them the right to lock you in a fucking room and just forget about you. Mm-hmm. Well, I just said that to uh, for the reasoning of why they did it, not okay. justifying sure. why they did it. Um, So they would lock me inside of my room, 
and then I would just play with my cats. And so I um I didn't I wasn't a normal person because like nobody taught me normal human being stuff. Because you didn't have any social cues, you didn't have any friends to judge off of. Yeah. Which is acceptable. That's a valid excuse when your siblings lock you in a fucking room and don't actually take care of you. Mm-hmm. And so I, that's why I think so much, I think, because it it just gave me so much time to think by myself that now when I have become older, I can use that large thinking capacity to actually improve myself and, and help myself. Well, not only that, you can process things a lot faster than kids that never even given a scenario like that. You mm-hmm. could imagine scenarios five times over before a person imagines one scenario and completes it. You just have to describe it. You're already there by the time someone is thinking about it. That's why I feel like self-awareness is one of, if not the most important thing for improving yourself. Do you know what self-awareness is? I have a general idea in my head, but I want to hear what you think it is first. So it's a lot of meta thinking, which is thinking about why you think certain things. That's what meta thinking is. And then also thinking about your own behavior and thinking about how you can improve on what you do. It's basically just being aware of who you are, knowing that you can improve and that you can become something different. So basically, if I had to think of myself from an existential standpoint, I would need to, knowing how I think, I would change myself, right? Yes. So being able to anticipate what I'm going to do because that's how I act every day and then changing what that, whatever that thing is that I do. Mm-hmm. So if I go to the gym, if I know I go to the gym every day, Right, and I always forget to bring a water bottle to hydrate myself, leaving out the water bottle the night before, so I don't forget. Yes, basically how how that would go about inside of your head if you're thinking of yourself in like a third person view, you'd be like, Jake is the kind of guy to forget his water bottle every day. Maybe Jake should not forget his water bottle every single day, so you'll put out your water bottle for the next day next to your gym clothes or something or put it in your backpack. Could you give us some real-life examples of how meta-thinking has helped you? It's helped me especially for my schoolwork this year because I would procrastinate every single day and while I would be playing video games, there'd be that little voice in the back of my head that would say, hey, you got a project due tomorrow. Maybe you should get on it. And then I just keep playing video games. So how meta thinking helped me was that I thought about that voice in the back of my head. And I thought, that's my procrastination voice. That's what comes out whenever I procrastinate and it's essentially trying to help me it's trying to say hey we need to get stuff done and yet I still just play video games 
And the reason why I think that I play video games is because it's just habit to me. I would go home, I would sit down, and play video games. It would be literally the first thing that I did when I walked into the room, start up the Xbox, grab my controller, sit down. Well, I think for a lot of people, it's an escape mm-hmm. from whatever you're, you know, fearing, struggling with, school, work, home life. Video games are an escape for the mind. It really helps people to be able to go to a different world outside of whatever world you are in and be able to just ignore it all for an hour, two hours, three hours. And I think that's also how I used to be as a as a kid. You, you know? would you would escape it using video games? Yeah. But then over time, I didn't have any more like problems with uh, social aspects or anything like that. I just played lots of video games because everything else was boring to me. And um, because it became habit, I was used to having that dopamine hits, you know. Like an addiction. I don't want to call it an addiction because it's hard to equivalent certain like drugs to video games and trying to well you can get addicted to anything right really. right right right. i'm saying just it's it's there for you mm-hmm. it's a serious problem yeah and so i thought well if it's habit then maybe i should just turn schoolwork into a habit so but how do you how do you take something like that and turn it into a habit when you hate it so much? You do it step by step. So what I did was I thought, okay, I, I'm not going to get this whole school project done. That's a little too much for me right now. So what I did was I made it habit to every single day, I'd walk in into my room. I'd have my backpack. I'd put it down onto my bed. I'd get my laptop out. I'd put it down onto the table and open it up. You'd force yourself. I'd you, force you myself. Have to, you have to think step by step. I'm getting home. I'm setting the backpack down. I'm not going to do video games because if I do video games, I'm going to get stuck over there. I have to put the backpack down. I have to take the laptop out and I have to do the fucking work. Well, at first, I wouldn't really do that much work. Like I do, I don't know, probably like, five minutes of work and then I'd go back to playing video games but I just figured I'd do a step by step so I put into the habit of every day putting my laptop down on the table opening it up and doing something anything and then I'd go back to playing video games well you would you would reward yourself in a way for to play video games by doing that little stuff and then giving yourself the dopamine of video games mm-hmm. you start to correlate homework with happiness it's kind of a roundabout way of doing it but yeah you still kind of did it so that's kind of smart by your end to equivalent homework with happiness it, it, it puts you in the sense of oh i can play video games now because i did my homework or i tried or i did a minute or i did one math problem did something anything and that's really the key note of it was was that I was at least doing something. I didn't even care that it was only five minutes at that time at the beginning because I it was 10 steps of he- ahead of what I was doing before because I was doing nothing, but now I'm doing something. And so then when I 
when it became like literal habit, I like, I wanted to go and put my laptop down and open it up and everything like that. I, I then took the next step forward and said, okay, today I'm doing 30 minutes of work. That's what I'm doing. I'm not going over and playing video games until I do 30 minutes of work. And I did this step-by-step process of habit building until eventually I didn't even have to do any homework anymore. I like would set my laptop down and then I looked inside of my uh, to-do list essentially and then I realized that I had nothing to do. So then I closed my laptop and I played video games happily, freely, with, without that voice in the back of my head saying that I needed to go do something. I no longer had that anxiety or pressure of needing to do something when I'm doing something else. Now, did you see a linear growth with that, you know, correlating homework with um, video games? Did you see that like every day it would be steady or did you relapse a little bit? Be honest. Some days it was harder than others. Like at the beginning, I was motivated. I would, you know, like open it up and I'd be like, okay, like uh, I got to do something. And then other days, probably like day four or five or something, I'd open it up and then I just kind of like look at the screen and I'd be like, man, I really don't want to do anything right now. But then I'd do five minutes of work. That's interesting. That's really interesting to me that you were able to overcome something like that and not only made. And of course, video games aren't a bad thing, but they're not healthy in a large, you know. Yeah, like, any, like anything that. can be a bad thing with too much. Right. So what I'm thinking is, is you were able to kill two birds with one stone. Not only were you accomplishing your homework, but the sense of anxiety and dread was also stomped out because you could play video games freely and truly relax Mm -hmm. because when video games are your you know escape to another world right away from your problems you don't have to worry about the problem so much (laughs) yeah you know you could just enjoy the things that you enjoy which is escaping to another world it's a nice it's a nice it's a nice little story you got there it's a nice little happy ending Mm -hmm. do you do your homework regular now yeah whenever i have it i mean this year I don't necessarily have too many like homework classes, but I have straight A's now. Nice. So speaking of mental health, right? Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk about the different kinds of mental health? Um, that's sounds dumb, but like, do you want to talk about anxiety? That's the one I was really getting at. Okay. How how does someone deal with anxiety? Because I'm a person who does get nervous who does get anxious and does have anxiety and it's kind of bad it's actually you know what i won't lie it's really bad well sometimes first i think we should talk about what anxiety is so anxiety is pretty interesting because this is really something that's exclusive to human beings no other animal gets anxiety no i mean they get short-term anxiety but not long-term anxiety and the reason why is because to be anxious, you have to look into the future. And that's what us humans are really good at doing. Because if you think about it, 
we had to be really good at sensing danger out in the wild. Evolutionary. And so... Yeah, dumb monkeys in the jungle got to worry about the big tiger cave. So don't go into the tiger cave. Yeah, exactly. Saying, if I go there, then there are probably bad spooky monsters going to eat me. So I'm not going to go over there. And so to help us with that is anxiety. And so because we're thinking, we're looking into the future and thinking about this could happen, that could happen, what if, you know, things like that. That's what anxiety is, is the fear of the what if and something going bad in the future. So we talked about in personalities episode one Mm -hmm. we talked about how more people think about the future some people think about the future more than others yes so then that clearly defines that some people get more anxious than others then Mm -hmm. okay yes so how do you deal with anxiety well how do you how do you specifically deal with anxiety first it definitely helps knowing that this is a evolutionary thing of worrying about the future because then you think well, it's just trying to help me, right? Like, I'm worrying about this thing that's going to happen in the future. So, what can I realistically do about that, right? Like, I'm worrying about it, therefore I should try and solve it. But what are some actual things that I can apply to make that solvable? Yeah. What can you do? It depends on the situation. Yeah, do, some, maybe, some, do you think you could look at it from an existential standpoint? Like if, like you said before, relating back to the third person point of view, mm-hmm. look at it the grand scheme of things. Like, okay, you're anxious, like you always are for mm-hmm. whatever this is, but you've done it before and you've gotten through it as a person. So realistically, you could look at yourself from a third person point of view and say, I've made this through this before. I can do it again. And it won't be as bad. And soon enough, once you do it enough times, your anxiety should just, you know, slowly disappear. Exactly. And it helps for me. I don't know if it helps for everyone. Each person should really have their own way of getting through anxiety. But for me, at least, that's what helps. And um, I think that's something that should also be noted is that while you can do a lot by yourself and thinking about your own problems and getting through them by yourself, it's also important to note that if that's not really working and you can't do it by yourself, then you should get help by professionals. Or you could just do the little things and talk to someone about it. Yeah. I feel like talking to like a good friend, a mom, a dad, or like anyone you have or reasonably respect is a great way to get rid of anxiety. Mm-hmm. They calm your nerves. They tell you it's going to be okay. You know, you're fine. You're not going to die. You know, it's not what you're... Because in your mind, when you have really bad anxiety, you're picturing just the worst outcomes mm-hmm. possible. And when you have someone to reassure you in that scenario, you have a person who's able to comfort, like a blanket. Which goes back to... What we were talking about with an emotional support versus logical support. Where if that person is feeling anxious, they just need the comfort 
They need somebody that they can go to. If you're always logical support, then when they come to you, they're going to be anxious about all these things. And then you're essentially going to try and make them do stuff. You're saying, oh, you should do this. You should do that. Have you tried this? And they're going to feel even more pressure. They probably have already thought about those things. Maybe they want to do them, but they don't think they can or they don't want to. Like they procrastinate it. And so then they may even feel guilt for not doing those things. And you want to be in a clear mental state at the time where you can go and do things. I can understand that. And I also feel that like if you're a good friend to somebody, and maybe this is easier said than done because for me, it's easier to read people. It's easy for me to understand if something's like off with that person, especially mm-hmm. if I'm in person with them. I can really read their, it's harder through text, you know, especially if they're text, you could tell if they're like texting weird or, you know, through call, but like facial expressions and like, uh, when I notice their facial expressions on a day to day basis and they come in and they realize that something's wrong, um, is okay. So this is easier for me. Right. But I can tell when someone's off. Mm-hmm. I know when someone needs help. I feel like you have to be in that existential point where if even at the people that like, aren't like socially aware as much, they have to be able to read a person or like your best friend or your mom or your dad or your sibling and say, something is not right with that person It is your responsibility. Not maybe not to find out, but just comfort them. The little things help so much in situations like this. Just reminding someone that, Hey, hope you have a good day or everything's going to be okay. If you know, like they have a tough test coming up, mm. little things just go the mile. Then maybe they don't want to talk about it. That's fine. Then talk about something else. Talk about how your day was. Or maybe crack a joke, make them laugh. You know, laughter is the best medicine. Ha ha ha. But um, you can do so much with so little to just help a person and be socially aware like that. Another thing that I've seen from people is why won't you tell me what's going on? As if that person is obligated to tell the other person what their problems are. And I think that's very narcissistic. When I was younger, I had that problem a lot. I'll admit it. I'm like, why won't you just tell me what's going on? Mm-hmm. Now that I'm older, I can look back and say, you're a fucking idiot. Because, of course, if something's like a serious problem like that, they're not going to want to talk about it. It just hurts to talk about. Yeah. What you can do as a person is acknowledge that something's wrong, right? Maybe you don't have to know what it is. Just acknowledge that something's wrong and then tell them, hey, if you need to talk about something, I'm here for you if you want to talk. Mm -hmm. Because if you're coming from the point where you want to help them, then you should actually want to help them and make it about them. If you say... Why won't you tell me you're making about yourself at that point? You want to know what they are going through. And that's pretty selfish. Whenever you're helping someone and you somehow find a way to put yourself into it, like when I was going through that, don't. They don't need to hear it. They probably don't care. They probably don't want to. It can be useful in some scenarios. Instead of saying, you know, if you had depression, right? And we were talking about how you have depression right now. 
when I had depression, instead of saying that, why don't you use your experience of what helped you get out of depression, right? And apply that to that person and then give that advice to help them as well. I feel like that would go way farther than just saying, when I had depression, this is what I did. I mean, that's just stupid. It's a dumb way of thinking about it. It's not going to help the person as much as you think. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's also important to to give them the emotional support to let them get into the clear state of mind. Because once they're in the clear state of mind, then they're thinking rationally. They're thinking how they normally do instead of thinking how they do in a depressed state, for example, or an anxious state. And then when they're in the clear state, you can talk to them, you can give them the logical support. You say, hey, uh, you know, maybe you could do this or that. I mean, it, it really doesn't matter at that point um, if if what you want to tell them just... You have to look at their emotions first and say, do they, what would they want to hear? Do they want to hear it's going to be okay or do they want to hear actual solutions? Right. You have to kind of read the situation. What do you think is better? Do you think it depends on the person? I think it depends on the mood that they're in. Right. Because I would give anybody emotional or logical support. It just, depends if if they're in a depressed state at that moment in time i'm going to give them emotional support that's when they need it the most and then you're saying when they're in you know a better state of mind it's better to give them like logical logical and mm-hmm. then you can you know prepare for the next time they might go on a depressed depressive route or mm-hmm. whatever the situation might become at that time and the reason why is because when they're in the clear state they can think logically and rationally and instead of having those those frequencies of oh you're a fucking loser uh what if this happens what if that happens you know like the negativity there isn't so much negativity in the clear state but there's a bunch of it in a depressed state or an anxious state so when you tell them these logical things then their mind isn't going to naturally go oh, I can't do that, or that won't work. It'll be like, maybe I can do that. You know, there's actual hope there. And you need hope to be able to act upon logical statements. I think you've given people more hope than you give yourself credit for, Eddie. And I'm going to say this as a genuine friend. Everyone was joking about, you know, depression and anxiety and stuff like that in our school. And there was a lot of people that were clearly suffering from that on a day-to-day basis. But, you know, the popular people or, like, others saw them as the weird kind of outcasts. That's what we deem people that struggled with that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. You saw them as someone who needed help. You started a found Because you saw yourself a little bit. Am I wrong? You saw yourself in those people? Yeah, I saw myself. Being a social outcast and wanting to help them. You started... A group of people. What was it called again? MIND, which is an acronym. What does the acronym stand for? Mental Improvement and Nurturing Development. You started a group chat called MIND, and you invited all these people into one room, and you wanted to have meetings, you know, uh, just, you gave these people all something in common, which was they all had some kind of sadness. 
problem, mm-hmm. mental disorder. You gave them hope is what you did. And I feel like you genuinely helped some of those people by reaching out to them like that and showing that someone cared and brought, showed them that someone wanted them for something. And you wanted them to talk about, you know, their problems and show others that they're not alone in thinking that way. And mm-hmm. I think that was a really courageous, really brave, and just really meta way of thinking about, you know, school that like no one else in our school thought of. Not even our counselors. I I didn't want it. I mean, at one point, I wanted it to become a school-affiliated thing. But on another point, sometimes teachers... They make things worse. Just say Yeah, it. they make things they worse. They definitely make things worse. Like, you don't want to talk about, let's say, a drug addiction with a teacher. Like That's awkward. It's Not it's only weird. that, but you have the fear of them being like, oh... And I got to tell your parents, like, you don't want that. And that's what makes it so hard to be able to go through those things. You feel like you have to go alone because if you tell people, then you're going to be in a worse situation than what you were in. Because you're like, well, if I tell a teacher, they're going to tell my parents. And if if my parents know, then they're just going to beat me. You know, that's a theoretical situation. But it's... It's important to be able to create an environment where they feel like they can actually speak their mind and speak about their problems in a manner where it's safe to do so and they don't have any anxiety about it. Do you understand what you possibly did for some of the kids that were in that group? Could you even possibly fathom what you've done for those people? And they might not even remember it. They might not even care. They might not even process it but deep down somewhere along the line i'm sure that helped that really did help and the group might have not have gone as far as you possibly would have liked but you know kudos for you on trying where no one else would i think it definitely would have went farther if it wasn't during like one of the big moments in covid i think that was one of my mistakes was starting it during covid or it might have been something that they needed during covid because when we were in lockdown, it was lonely. It was, you know, that's why I first started the group chat was because then you could actually talk to people and and get to know new people in the group chat because not everybody knew each other. Uh, it was nice to be able to do that in a spot in their life where they couldn't normally. Right, and I think, it's it's a pros and cons with COVID because I just got a phone notification. Way to <laughs> way to way to break the room silence. And I have no idea where my phone is, so let's hope it doesn't go off anymore. But um, when you oh god, I completely lost track of where I was. God damn it! Whoever texted me, I'm gonna find you. I'm gonna kill you. I'm gonna do it right now. Oh god, what was I saying? Remind me. That got my train of thought off. Dude. Oh my god, are you serious? We both just completely lost track right now. <laughs> um mind we were there basically okay pros and cons with covid that's what we're talking about okay so the pros are they definitely needed someone to talk to when there was nobody else to talk to Mm -hmm. cons being the engagement wasn't all the way there i feel like if you would have been able to hold you know weekly or monthly meetings Mm -hmm. in a real life situation with other people around then you'd be able to have a more inclusive and attractive situation for people to come back but since it was just online 
it kind of died out. The flame kind of slowly died. You weren't able to kindle that with like monthly meetings, which yeah, sucks. I, I had like ideas of like bonfires, um, volunteering. Volunteering was a big one that I wanted to do, like um, roadside trash cleanup and things like that. Because not only would it have created an environment where uh, they could make friends, then they could get to know their new friends, and they could also have a purpose. Sense of purpose. That's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Feeling if if you feel like there's nothing in this world for you, giving you something to live for is huge with people struggling with that kind of problem. What really made me want to start that group chat, I, I had thought about it for a while, and then I found a study that had been done on severely anxious people. I forget the type of phobia it's called, but it's the fear of going outside. Like these people literally could not leave their house. They were so afraid of the outdoors. And so then uh, there was an experiment where they said, okay, we just want you to go outside to this community garden of other severely anxious people like you so they would it was really hard for them at first they would have to go outside of their house which some of them weren't even able to do on the first day and they would go with like this escort person to this like community uh garden and so then they started like planting and growing things together until eventually they started to really like doing it. And then it would even be to the point where, let's say Jimmy's gone that day. Everybody would be like, hey, where's Jimmy? Maybe we should text him. Wow. Like, that's beautiful. Yeah. And if you think about that's only going to become more prevalent as time goes on. Mm-hmm. You, have gener- you have a generation of kids, like toddlers, that were raised at home because of COVID and they only know their parents, right? And there's these kids that, well, first it was off, it was already getting bad with technology, right? Mm-hmm. Kids that don't get enough social interaction are already socially awkward enough. Now you take in the mix of literally the only other people in their lives are their parents. You have you have children that are afraid of other kids because they don't recognize what other kids look like because they mm-hmm. were at that crucial age of like identifying and realizing so when you got to that point of toddler to, you know, young child, they just lost their minds when they got sent back to school. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was crazy. And I feel like that disorder, whatever that disorder was you just described, is only going to explode. And so we're really going to have to study up and focus, okay, how can we make the world more extrovert? Because extroverts, I hate to hate on introverts, but like it's it's better to be an extrovert a lot yeah, of the times. It's, it's easier. It, not only is it easier, it helps. In social situations, I think it helps move, you know, society as a whole. And I think it helps fuel change in a whatever broken scenario. Well, what's also interesting is that introverts are needed as well. Because if you get a group of five extroverts into one conversation, everyone is going to want to talk. And that's not always the most ideal situation. Because then if you're an extrovert who's normally used to talking a lot and talking the most in their friend group, 
going over to that group of people and talking the least, it's going to be like you're not going to feel like you're being heard, that your voice is out there. So it's it's also needed for introverts to be there. Yeah, I guess that was a bit ignorant of me to say you know, we need more extroverts. I just think the pattern is going towards introverted. Mm -hmm. I really think that. Like 60% of America are introverts. And I think that's going to grow in the next 20, 30 years. Mm -hmm. I think that's going to go to 70, if I'm being honest. as a big jump, but I really think so. I think, like you said, a balance is needed. But again, one side, either or is too many, but it's going to really shift to be unbalanced and it's not going to be good. I really do think that. And then that's also going to increase the amount of loneliness in teens and in adolescent uh, uh, adults. And like that's one of the biggest problems with the COVID lockdown has been the feeling of loneliness, I feel like. Because I'm an introvert. I kind of like being alone. But it gets to a certain point where I'm thinking, man, I really want to see my friends right now. Like you kind of take it for granted a little bit at a point, especially in a small town. We're acting like COVID's over. Mm -hmm. It's not for people in bigger cities. They are still on lockdown. They still can't go out and just party or see their friends. Mm -hmm. Like it really sucks. We take it for granted that we can like go to school without masks. <laughs> yeah, we that's, do. That's a really a big thing that not a lot of other schools have in the inner cities. And I feel like just having that, being able to look at somebody without a mask on, just having that privilege is a lot. It's a lot for anybody. Being able to look at them in the in the eyes and then see the rest of their face as a human. Yeah. Being able to have that, you know, cognitive human to human interaction is something that's so big that people don't even realize how huge that is that we completely take for granted, mind you. Mm -hmm. And that's also something that I've thought of over time has been, I'm taking a lot of things for granted now. I used to have no friends. I I was a total outcast. But now I have a lot of friends. Like, I walk down the hallways in school and... I was going to say, you were talking about not being friends with anybody. Now you're fairly popular. I'd say yeah. you're popular. There's a lot of people that come up to you and just say, what's up, buddy? And then you'd be like, give me your nipples or something weird. I don't know. <laughs> you always say the weirdest stuff walking down the halls. Uh, it, it depends on, on the person. Like if they're a, a regular person, then I'm going to be weird to them. But if they're a weird, <laughs> but then if they're a weird person, if then, they're acting regular, you're going to be weird. Yeah. That's messed up way of thinking about it. Well, like, like Gabe, he, um, he's, he's probably just like the most normal person you will ever oh, meet. Yeah. Yeah, he's and, like six four, just walking down the halls. Very little facial expression. Very clearly an introvert. He's just when you say hi to Gabe, he'd be like, "Hey," yeah. And then just keep walking. He's but, very smart. But like one of the only times that he ever smiles is whenever I say weird stuff to him. <laughs> so of course, uh, what did you say one time? You, were, I remember I was walking down the halls behind you, and I saw Gabe coming, and you mm-hmm. looked at me. You looked back at Gabe, and you're like, "Give me your kneecaps," and he's like, "What?" And he's like. And he's like, and Gabe's like, what the fuck? And he's like, he's like, Eddie, that's weird. And he smiles and walks away. I yeah. don't see Gabe smile like that very often. Yeah, exactly. It's like out of the norm. 
you, you know? know gives them a little break i only do it to, to men though because otherwise that <laughs> that'd be weird yeah when that'd, I'm, that'd be not weird. <laughs> a, a sexual assaulter he's just a guy who likes dudes not to say that you can't sexually assault males you definitely can it's just a little more socially acceptable where we are to mess with guys than girls yeah yeah uh and anyway where where this was going <laughs> was that now i like walk down the hallways and i'm like hey person hey like um i had a friend who was walking behind me one day and while i was like walking down the halls and like wow you say hi to a lot of people i'm like people say hi but back to me so i'm like yeah you could know, you like, imagine that did you? Would you say you've gone definitely more introverted to the extroverted side of things? Have you yourself gone from an introvert to an extrovert as like little weirdo Eddie to, you know, Eddie that's kind of out there more? It's interesting because I can still see the introvert inside of me. Um, like I'm definitely still more introverted than extrovert, but I have become more extroverted because one of the big characteristics between them is that uh, introverts lose energy in large social settings. Extroverts gain energy. And so for me, what happens for me is I still lose energy when I interact with people. It's just I lose less energy than I did before. So you so, can you can power through it. You can yeah. use your endurance and kind of get through it as a person towards mm-hmm. the other side. Like during the morning, I'm just like, hey, what's up? And then by the end of school, I'm... I like have my headphones on and I'm jam- jamming out by myself in my own world, you know. Um, Do you ever think about how little Eddie would look up to you? Little Eddie falsetto that was locked in the room with just his cats because his little bitch ass siblings wouldn't take care of you. And like how he would look up to you now. I think about that a lot. Well, when I was, I think it was either the start of middle school or the end of elementary school where I went to a high school football game for the first time. And I, I I can't remember why I was there. I think either my parents took me there or my siblings did, something like that. And so I, I got there and I saw, you know, a bunch of high schoolers there. And I, me not knowing what it's like to be a high schooler, I looked up to them, like, because they were so big and tall. I was like, wow. Those guys are so cool. I would want to be them, you know? Is that what drove you to play football for two years? Mm, no, I, no, no. Like, I, I was talking more about, like, the people, like, the people in the stands. Okay. Like, me seeing those people, like, just the teens walking around about. Talking, having yeah. a good time. While like, you were alone and sad, <laughs> yes. <laughs> just I'm just calling it how I see it, man. Mm-hmm. I don't mean to hurt you. And so yeah, I was like, wow, those people are very cool. So me now, I'd say I'd, I'd probably look up to me. Like I'd I definitely look up to myself. Mm-hmm. Um, my reality was also video games, mm-hmm. but I had a severe weight problem and okay all right we're gonna get deep for another for 20 more minutes well more than that but this is where my section starts okay okay i had a severe weight problem when i was little or Mm -hmm. littler not horrible but it was bad i was called like jokingly by my friends i was called the michelin man the tire guy you know the white tire guy 
Oh yeah. Yeah, I was called, or I was called Pillberry Doughboy. Okay. Okay. Because I was, I was fat. Yeah. I was bigger. I was a bigger kid. Um, I was bigger and only about like five eight, five nine, which was still really big for the time. I'm talking like, I don't know, fifth grade. Mm-hmm. I was a very large kid. I was not athletic whatsoever, and I don't remember what it was. I don't remember what the switch was. I don't remember anything about it. I just remember waking up one day and seeing a can of soda like on where I played games on my like little nightstand just seeing a, I made a triangle pyramid of soda that I drank from like over the weekend and realizing you're a fat fuck. I hate you so much. Like I looked myself in the mirror and I really just hated myself mm-hmm. and I don't know what it was, but my friends convinced me to do track my eighth grade year. And that's when I really saw it. Like how bad I was at everything. They tried to put me in every competition you could think of at eighth grade track and i just failed over and over and over and everyone else was better than me everyone else just was i don't even know how to say it they just beat me in everything and it stuck with me to this day it still sticks with me i hate that feeling of everyone being better at me at everything (laughs) not only were they not only were they faster they could jump higher Mm -hmm. they were smarter i was a pretty dumb kid um just I don't know. I didn't get out there enough to even realize how bad I was. So as we got on, I instantly, freshman year, because track is, you know, towards the fall. And and no, spring. Track is towards the spring. So mm-hmm. it was ended my eighth grade year, going into my freshman year. Just the first sport I could do, I wanted to do it to lose weight. So cross country. Yeah. Freshman year, cross country. And I met the seniors that year. There were a group of five or six seniors. And they were like basketball captains and like super athletic guys that I just looked up to so much because they just were so good at everything. And I put so much work in my freshman year and I put so much work in, I put so much effort in and I did everything I possibly could. And I I still didn't make the varsity lineup Mm -hmm. for cross country, cross country in a small town. It's really sad. And I was the best out of all the other freshmen that were coming in that year. Well, except Frank, Frank is like a unit. But then there was Frank, and then there was one open slot, mm-hmm. and I didn't get it, even though I had the best times, and I beat myself up for it every day. And then my freshman year, I'm like, well, here I am, still bad at everything. Might as well try out for basketball. Um, we had so many kids that year for high school basketball that they had to make a JV3 team for basketball. Yeah, I remember that. Yep. And guess who was the very first member of the first ever Northland Pines JV3 team? Jacob Thomas Aiello. Yeah, that was a good one. Guess what? I wasn't even the starter. <laughs> Could you imagine that? Could you imagine not even being the starter for a JV3 team? I was not a starter for a JV2 team. That's and... that's different. It's not it's it's there's something when you only have six guys on the roster. Well, and, because we were in the same JV2 team sophomore year. Right. But I'm saying from a JV3 standpoint, uh-huh. having six guys and you are not one of the starting five just crushed you inside. Yeah. And I'd say track my freshman year track again is when I started to become good at long distance. Mm-hmm. And I really gave it my all. I was... Something ridiculous. I don't know. I just scored points from the team, and it made me feel good. Mm-hmm. I kind of hated it. I kind of started to lose, you know, hope 
but I saw myself as like still the fat kid. And that's when I had, um, I'm going to talk about, I I had an eating disorder Mm -hmm. and I was bulimic, right? No, I was, I, I made myself throw up. I would, that was, yeah, that's bulimia. Yeah. I would, um, I would eat and then I would go into the bathroom and I would, this is, you know, freshman year. I would make myself just hurl into the bathroom because every time I looked into the mirror, I still saw the fat little annoying kid who nobody liked and was bad at everything. And, you know, there's one thing I could have changed. Apparently, in my mental state, I don't know. Apparently, the one thing I could change was not my intelligence, but, like, my fatness <laughs> or my weight. So I would eat salads and I would, like, make myself throw up and I wouldn't eat and I... Oh, it's one of the good habits that I dropped is drinking soda. I still don't drink soda to this day. Mm-hmm. Three and a half years later, I only drink soda on New Year's Eve. I drink sparkling wine or whatever they call it. It's something sparkling regard- juice. Or- yes, I don't remember, yeah. but it's you know that's the only time I drink carbonated stuff. Otherwise, it's just water. So it's one of the good habits, but I don't know what it is. I you want to talk about body dysmorphia? I couldn't even describe it to you. Looking at yourself in the mirror and being like only 150 pounds 145 right being like the skinniest kid and i grew too so i went from like five nine to like six foot mm-hmm. and being that tall in 150 i was microscopic mm-hmm. <laughs> like i was a pushover and i think basketball my sophomore year really taught me that size doesn't help to be smaller and everything like you need muscle yeah so that's when i didn't even solve that eating disorder I feel like if I still had the state of mind that skinny was better, I would definitely still probably make myself throw up, which is sad to think about. The only thing that stops me is basketball and realizing that like gaining muscle and gaining weight and eating carbs helps you with training. Um, But struggling through that was definitely a rough spot in my life. Mm -hmm. And then, it kind of sucks looking back at it that I never resolved that issue. I never looked at myself and said, oh, that was a bad thing that I did. I just didn't even acknowledge it as a bad thing. It's just something that I passed over. So it's scary to me to think about like how much farther that would have gone if left unsettled, which it still technically is unsettled. I don't even know why I looked at myself like that. I just did <laughs> to an extent. I don't. I don't know. It's a weird way of processing the world knowing that you left certain things unsettled and you got lucky that it just got settled for you because your mind just changed that's also what happened with me when i was a weirdo i actually was very lucky in the way that i became unweird because what had happened was like my my whole friend group uh we were basically the losers like nobody really liked what year was this to us. Uh, this was this was in between 7th and 8th grade year for me so i i was a loser uh, all my friends were considered losers um, and so then my, uh, girlfriend at the time, uh, had broken up with me. Oh no. Oh no. You must be mentally destroyed. So, but what had happened was essentially like 
it, it was over the summer. And so um, I didn't have a phone because I was, I was going into eighth grade. I, I just didn't have a phone back then. And so I had nobody to talk to now. I... I didn't like my family. I didn't like myself. So that was probably one of the lowest moments was now that I had friends, I had no friends. So the were the friends related to the girlfriend? Yeah. Okay, you did. Because we were all in the same group. So when the girlfriend left, the friends left with the girlfriend? Yes. So you... You got kicked out of the loser group. Well, yeah. I hate to say it, not like losers. You got, you got kicked out of the social outcast. Yes. You were the social outcast of the social outcast. You were the lowest of the low. Yeah, essentially. Okay. Yikes. And so, what happened for me was kind of lucky. Um, my dad's friend, Vic. He came in one day, and he's he's like this six foot four, big, two hundred fifty pound, all muscle man, and he said, "Hey, there's this um gym. Do you want to get a membership at it with um me and your dad?" It's like ah, I don't know. I think I just want to like be alone and sad and cry in my room all day. That's what I want to do. <laughs> well, I I played video games every day, <laughs> so I was like, I don't, I don't know. That's- I'm sorry. I you went. You, I, you let me go through my entire mon- monologue without interrupting, and then as soon as we get to yours, I'm like, you're a fucking loser. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I will let you continue. This is fine. So I was like, eh, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I just want to, like, that's not my thing. I just want to go into my room and play video games because, you know, that was my coping mechanism. And so he thought for like two seconds He's a very impulsive guy. He's like, you know what? I'll get you one, just in case. Just in case you want one. What a nice man. Yeah. And so then, uh, like a week later or something, they have the memberships. And I was playing video games, and they're like, hey, want to come with us to the gym? I was like, uh, I don't know. And... uh Vic was like, oh, you already have a membership. Might as well come with just one time, see if you like it. I was like, I'm, oh, okay, I guess I will. Um, so we go over to the gym. I, I I really don't know what I'm doing. Like, I'm just picking stuff up and, like, doing bicep curls or something and then putting it back down, like, two reps or something. Like, I didn't even know what reps and sets were. Like, I, I, I knew none of the gym slang back then. And... But I do remember what was very important was that I thought, okay, I'm going to do some sit-ups. So I did four sets of 20 sit-ups. That's all. I didn't even know what sets were. I didn't know what reps were. I just did 24 times. That's what I told myself. And uh, God, I could not get up out of bed for three days. My core was so in pain I literally thought I tore something because it would, I could not get up out of bed. I had to like kind of roll out of bed and like hit the floor kind of, and then like get up out of that position out of like a, like a push up position. Like my core hurt so bad. 
and I, I thought, oh, wow, I did 80 sit-ups. I want to look at the, the world record for how many sit-ups in one sitting. And it, it's insane. It's like thousands of sit-ups. You know? And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, I I literally just did like 80. I'm nothing compared to that. I am like a little small dot. So then I thought, I want to get better at this. So I started watching YouTube videos. I started making workout plans. I like and then I started going to the gym every single morning. <laughs> it's funny. Do you even realize that our that's where our stories meet? Do you even process that? That's right. You think and about I this. think about this. So yeah, I was so Eddie's going to the gym now, right? Mm-hmm. Little Eddie's going to the gym. Skinny Jake is coming off of a horrible sophomore year of basketball and he wants to be better. He wants to be better than he is or ever could be and he wants to learn how to jump high. That's his new mission. He wants to jump high and be strong. And oh, here's Eddie. Oh, here's Jake and boop, we've now met in the middle. This is how this is the story of literally how Jake and Eddie. This is our backstories. This is our villain <laughs> monologues. This is literally the story of how me and Eddie met and became friends is through the gym. Well, how we met was during the eighth grade play. True. That's. <laughs> do you want to? I feel like we need to come up for air a little bit. Do you want to tell one of our most one of my favorite stories to tell uh, from <laughs> the eighth grade play? So eighth grade play. I'm Robin Hood. <laughs> I'm, in Robin Hood, I'm Robin Hood, and Eddie is. What were you, night one? Yeah, something like that. Soldier so, one. One of my first interactions like that I even remember with Eddie, and I don't know if it was truly my first, but it was one of my like earliest and most memorable, was I was talking to another guy, and Eddie comes up to me, and he's like, what time is it? I don't have my glasses. And I look up at the clock, and I couldn't see the clock, and I'm like, I don't know. And you look at me like, you don't know what the time is? And I'm like... I don't know what the time is. And he's like, can you read a clock? I'm like, I can't read a clock. He's like, you know what the fucking time is. Why aren't you telling me? <laughs> and for no reason at all, you start to walk away, but then you turn back. You whip off. I don't know you at all. I literally don't fucking know you. You whip off your belt and you beat me in the kneecap and then I fall <laughs> to the ground and then he whips me two more times while I'm on the ground and you say when I fucking ask you for the time you goddamn tell me what the time is and you you storm off and the dudes that was the third party that I was talking to was like what the fuck <laughs> I'm like I don't even know who that is <laughs> I'm sitting there like crying on the ground you literally just took your belt off and beat beat me with it yeah I and do I do remember that why yeah. why did you do that I still to this day do not even comprehend. I, I don't even know why I did that. You just that. turned around and beat me with a belt. Yeah, I, I guess so. I mean, I eighth grade year. Well, what was interesting, we might we may have met before that too, because remember I um I sat alone at the lunch table every day, and then I decided, you know what. I'm going to sit at a table today. And so I started sitting at your lunch table. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. I had a couple of my friends that I'm still... We're all still good friends to this day. But I remember... I don't remember that specifically. You know what I do remember, though? Hmm. This is how much of an outcast you were. Fifth grade. Okay. We had to... We had a little activity where we had to go around in homeroom. Oh, I remember (laughs) this. We had to... This home... Like... 
I didn't even I don't even realize until we look back and start telling these stories. But Eddie was a really big outcast, like socially, like nobody liked him at all. And so when we had an activity in fifth grade homeroom, we had went around a circle and we just I think it was like made up words. We had to say made up words. So people were saying like alakazuba and like random funny stuff and i was like ha 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 that's a made-up word i don't know what you said but when it got to you you said like something inappropriate you said yeah, like yeah so would you say like pussy <laughs> you said no 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 i i think i was trying to think of a word so I, I thought cookie and then i thought okay i could i could change that into cocky but then <laughs> yeah, it didn't then, fully come out right just, and then like, i just said you're like cock. you're like ah, 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 cock and we're all like Oh, and then you you instinctively curl up into a little ball and crawl underneath the table and start crying. Yeah. And everyone's just looking at you and like you crawled away and start crying underneath the table. And we're like, is he, is he okay? And the teacher's like, Eddie, come on, it's okay. And you're like, no, you're going to yell at me. I'm like, that kid's weird. <laughs> you're just like, ah, ah. Cack. <laughs> it was funny. I thought it was funny. Everyone else was like, ooh, he's in trouble and yeah. stuff like that. Well, I think what what really made it bad for me at the the, the time, because I, I didn't really interact with people that much, but then um, I saw the teacher's face, and she just went, ooh. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know. I can't describe it to the people listening. Like Just like that, that O shape of the mouth. Yeah, it would be like shocked like, or yeah, shocked. Um, so then I thought, oh, I'm I'm gonna be in trouble or something. I don't know, but you that's know. funny. But that's 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 so weird that that's how our stories meet, and that's how it, this all begins. Mm-hmm. We didn't even realize it. We're telling stories that are parallel to each other. Someone we looked up to, and then eventually we felt we could better ourselves through working, working out, out. Yeah, which is you know a hobby that some people help depression actually i don't know if it's just my tiktok page or what i'm exposed to on a daily basis but i feel like it's a very large coping mechanism for tons of people is hitting the gym yeah oh fuck i just slapped the microphone i i also feel that too just because it's one it lets out aggression like just being able to Lift stuff up and put it back down. Oh, yeah. Getting big. Pumping the iron. Uh, so that helps with, like, the aggression and, like, the anger. But then, like, the sadness. You're like, I'm bettering myself right now. And I think that's that's pretty important for people to have. I feel like also helps with anxiety because when you're less focused when you're more focused on like how sore your muscles are and this might sound cocky i don't know tell me if i'm like right in thinking this the more focused you are and how sore your muscles are the less focused you are about like oh i'm anxious for this test or stuff like it just takes a you know edge off of the little things well it like i said before anxiety is worrying about the future so when you're focused on the present and being like my muscles hurt right now. Like they, they hurt. And so your brain isn't focusing on the future. It's focusing on right now. And then it also, when it does focus on the future, now you're starting to think, well, I'm going to get big muscles from pumping up in the gym. You start to have like hope for the future. You start thinking about hopeful things rather than thinking about all the screw-ups you could do. 
True. And so, yeah, I feel like it helps with anxiety a little bit. Just a, Not a lot, of course. Just yeah. a little bit. Because the problems are still there and you're still... Your thought process is still automatically worrying about the future at that point. So... At least when I'm in the gym, my anxiety goes away because mm-hmm. I'm so focused on like just getting a set done or getting yeah. a rep done or whatever. Being present. Being present. At least when I'm in the gym, my anxiety goes away. Maybe not after as much, like I said, with like the sore muscle example, but mm-hmm. definitely while I'm in it, I feel less anxious about everything because it's hard to think about other things while you're, you know, squatting 225. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Flex. I just flexed on you. Ah, I squat two plates. I'm a gym rat. Uh, I'm crazy that, like that. That is something for me that that's crazy is that when I first started working out, it was between 7th and 8th grade. Uh, then I had a full year where I was basically just like not messing around in the gym, but just not knowing correct stuff, you know? And so then it's the end of eighth grade year, um, you and I did track together, but I didn't actually do track because my grades were so poor that I they wouldn't let me do track. So I, I did like one track meet and that was all I could do <laughs> because my grades were just so trash. Um, and interestingly enough, our middle school track coach told our high school football coach that I was a strong kid or something like that. And so one day I was in like this extra resource for people who had bad grades. And so the football, the high school football coach pulls me out of my extra resource. And he was like, Hey, I heard from your uh, track coach that you're a strong guy. Have you ever thought about football? I was like, no, not really. I've I've never even watched like an NFL game. I was like, okay, well, think about it. And then he handed me like a slip that had this um strength and fitness program or strengthening and conditioning program, I think it was called. At the time, how much did that mean to you? Well, at first, I didn't really think on it too much. I was like, of course I'm not going to do football. Like because I thought of it at the time was like just a bunch of cavemen going for pigskin, you know. Like <laughs> you thought you looked down on them, not looked down on them. You just thought just it was like, like uncivilized. You kind of yeah, had like a, kind of. You yeah. thought it, you had like a movie anticipation of what football was like, you know, yeah. like the jock straps. Like ah, we're gonna give you a swirly freshman. I guess. Funnily enough, one of our teacher talks about that how he was peed on as a freshman he told the whole class that i thought that was weird yeah it was weird anyways continue um so at first i I didn't think about it too much and then i looked at the um strengthening and conditioning program sheet that he gave me and i was like "Hmm, maybe i could actually go do this maybe i can give it a shot and then i learned a little bit more on about football online and I thought, well, I'm, I could just run. I'm not. I don't have to like go up to the line because at first I, I thought that was 
that was basically just it. Like I, it was I just football. That yeah, was football. They're just going up to the line. Yeah, just going up to the line and then like hashing it out at the line at the line of scrimmage. Um, but then I, I learned about the actual game and I thought, okay, I'll, I'll I'm gonna do football. It was probably one of like the biggest decisions of my life because, like you had in cross country, I had the same thing with football where I started seeing the upperclassmen. This was the first time that I ever met someone outside of my own grade before I never had that. Um, And so I looked up to them. I looked up to the sophomores, the juniors, and the seniors. Like everyone was just better than me. Everyone knew more about the game. Just like, and and so I, I thought that's, like this is what I would want to be and that's what I should strive for and and so um I forgot where this was all going. I forgot why I was telling the story. You were but, basically just relating it to my story in a way. Oh yeah. It's just funny how it works. Yeah. It's all yeah. kind of the same. Brings and, us together in a weird way. Um and the topic was mental mental disorders or not mental disorders but mental health. Mhm. And so, I don't know, just, it's a, it's, it's a, it's an interesting, and it puts a positive spin on life to think about it that we are like destined to meet. I don't want to say destined, but it's just, it's nice to think about how all those individual decisions coming from completely different backgrounds. I, mm-hmm. I can say I did not come from the same background as you. I was, I had friends. I, you know, my parents know didn't work all the time they had just retired when Mm -hmm. i was like starting to become cognitively aware of my surroundings and so i can say that we didn't come from the same background it's just funny how our stories meet together to create a a path that we can both agree on for the future yeah which i think is cool um in a way it, it helps me mentally to think that we've come so far together that what's stopping us now like thinking about all the things we've overcome, what's starting a podcast together, what's, I don't know, starting a business together, mm-hmm. making a YouTube channel, shout out to our YouTube channel, projects coming very soon, but what's stopping us? Like nothing, <laughs> if you think about it. it's, And that's what's very important about having friends is, because like my friends are more important to me than my relatives like my mom and dad and some people aren't that way they're more you know family or a lot of people are like that eddie yeah yeah <laughs> i hate to say true. you say some people a lot of people like their family more than their friends yeah it's probably like 90 percent. is it sad know, to think about it like that that you like your friends more than your family but your friends might not like you as much as they like their family no no because that's a that's a reasonable thing to think about. It's like understandable. Yeah, that, that's understandable. But I just like the fact that they are still somebody that I can go to, and you know, I don't have to be their best friend, you know. But if if I can still go to them and and be able to talk about anything that I want, I think that's a good enough connection for me. Sure. And also. You know, if I'm if I'm seeing them like every weekend and we hang out all the time, then that's 
like I'm, I'm okay with that as well. It's almost calming to me to know that you're in a good state of mind after this podcast episode. I know you struggle with a lot that I don't see and just knowing that like right what's your mental state of mind right now 10 being the best one being the worst I'd say it's like a 7 and you know what that's not bad but it's not good but it's well, it's good to know that you're there the kind of attitude that I've had ever since I started thinking about um, that friend who was in denial about their emotions. I've thought about how it's okay to not be happy all the time. Right. And I'm more of a meaning-oriented person rather than happiness. You do need happiness to be able to go throughout your life because if you don't then that you're just suffering needlessly but i'm more meaning oriented meaning that i i chase purpose i chase meaning rather than i chase happiness because i i like to think of it as the mother of a newborn child like they're going to wake up three o'clock in the morning screaming child they have to go feed them you know and she's not happy at that moment but she has a lot of meaning a lot of purpose that's the kind of thing that i strive for is what keeps you going that's what wakes you up in the morning Mm -hmm. is having that purpose and you know what i think you can have both yeah certainly you can your meaning or like your purpose in life is to be happy but you're not there yet so it's okay to ignore the happiness for a little bit to get the, the purpose, which is happiness. Like the purpose and the meaning is what leads to long-term happiness, but there won't be short-term happiness. There will be delayed gratification in there. And I'm fine with that. I have chosen to replace my needless instant dopamine hits for delayed gratification and having long-term happiness video games going home playing video games every day versus working out working and out starting a business mm-hmm. making money in the long term working like that's a that's a really good way of thinking about life i wish i think some people that aren't even in your scenarios need to think about life like that um especially with partying mm-hmm. drugs alcohol that kind of stuff it's like I don't know. I you shouldn't look down on people who drink, but it's like drink when you're rich. That's what I I always like to say party when I'm rich. That's what I say. I say people always like, "Jake, why don't you go out and drink and have fun and smoke weed and have a good time?" I'm like, "I'll do that when I'm rich. I'll party when I'm rich because I'm not rich right now. I'm broke. What do I, what do I have to celebrate? What do I have to party over?" I I celebrate the little things every day when I come home and I'm able to relax and enjoy my life and hang out with my girlfriend and, you know, talk to my family. That's things that, you know, I can do now while I don't have money. But, like, I'll be happy when I have money. I don't have it. And I'm pretty sure even when I have it, I still won't be happy that I, I need more. It's just going to be a never-ending cycle for me. But that's what keeps me going. That's my purpose. Mm-hmm. That also causes a lot of anxiety for adults when they first get in to 
being an adult is that I feel like our generation doesn't exactly know what they're getting into. Not at all. And so then they have all these money problems. They get anxiety from those money problems. And education is something that's vastly important. And while it may not be your fault that you aren't educated, it's still your responsibility to get educated and to understand how to actually fix your problems. To Like if you have money problems, let's say you make a budget and then you can actually save money. And then through that, instead of having the short-term happiness, now you're saying, okay, I'm not going to go out and uh, eat at Olive Garden today. I'm instead going to buy some groceries and have food for two weeks and I'm going to you know, go home and uh, be bored essentially and I'm, I'm going to be okay with that. That mental state of mind is very important. People don't have that. They should have that. They have to understand that if there's something that you lack in life, you can learn it. Mm-hmm. You can always learn it, no matter how bad you are at something. I feel like that's the takeaway from today's episode. With I know we talked about mental health, right? The takeaway from today's episode is the life lessons. Like you know, a sitcom episode. At the end of every episode, you learn a lesson, right? Mm-hmm. Today's lesson is if something is bothering you if something is affecting you emotionally physically um mentally um a memory the past the future anxiety depression whatever it is you have the ability or someone out there has the ability to change it it is not permanent nothing in life is permanent time moves everything it's how you take that time and how you use it to apply it to that problem whatever it may be is how you fix things I think that's very important in today's society and culture that people forget and miss out on. Um, when you have one kid struggling with an eating disorder and another kid who has, well, no friends and needs to change that, and they 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 both need to change something in their lives, right? Mm-hmm. And they both want to be better in their lives, and they coincide, they find each other, right? We're the we're our own solutions. I feel like. Mm-hmm. to a lot of our problems um being able to come together and finding each other was our solution to our life's problems and we actively seeked out friends that would be able to do that who would enable us to do that and that's pretty much the story of our friendship do you think differently i don't I, like i think that's exactly what it was and it was interesting because you know at first you didn't like me at all. Because, I hated you. You beat me with a belt. Yes. And I had also creeped you out many times backstage. You touched me, weirdly, <laughs> in weird places, man. And I did not know you at all. And so now to think that we're best friends, it's it's come a long way and definitely have valued each other's pros and... I've come to value your cons as well. I learn off of your mistakes. You learn off of my mistakes. Mm-hmm. It's just a mental state. Yeah. This has been Writing the Narrative with Jake and Eddie. 
helped you like that minute well, i mean one hour and 30 minutes of just pure darkness with a little bit of joy because guess what that's life a little bit of a coming up for air yeah just a little bit well writing the narrative with jake and eddie signing out <laughs>